So we're starting something kind of new. Um, let me know. Because we are answering people's questions and kind of what we're doing is going to be kind of building on what we talked about before. Um, and it's summer, so not everybody's going to be here every week. So I don't want anybody to feel left out, especially if you're, we're answering your question that week. <laughs> so we are recording Teach. Um, you don't have to worry. We're really just recording my part. So, I mean, if you want a microphone, I'll get you a microphone. <laughs> but I don't, know, I don't know how good of an idea that would be. <laughs> But uh, so in the weekly email, um, it'll have links to where they're all going to be saved. Um, so you'll see the, there's a little section on the email. Just click it. We've got a couple different options for whatever you're more comfortable with. And if you really want them and you're not comfortable with any of those options, let me know. And I'll figure out a way to get it for you. So last week's is already up, just in case you want to go back and listen to it. Question about the camera. Mm -hmm. It seems to be today recording over to the right. And is it does it capture you too? Mm -hmm. okay. so it is the way it's set up right now is it has the lectern, so we, we can see who's reading. Okay. But it also has the altar. Okay. And that's why I've been going from the pulpit to the middle for the sermon. So it can catch everything. And that way it's not. Didn't know if it got to the mouth or something. No, that, that's home. I checked. You'll see me in the back before the service starts when I'm on my phone. I'm okay. messing with the camera, right. not just on my phone. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's my story. And that's Stick to it. Yeah. But today, we're going to be talking, we've, because we've brought them up a couple of times in the past few weeks, um, we're going to be talking about some people who we don't really get to interact with a whole lot, just because of where we live, but we are actually neighbors. Uh, we're going to be talking about the Eastern Orthodox churches. So you might be going, who are those guys? Uh, they're the ones that you see who the priests... They wear, like they always wear, they don't have like a collar. They're usually in the big robes. Um, they've always usually got like a lot of like big crosses um, and the giant wizard beards. And sometimes they'll have big hats, not like a bishop's hat, but kind of sometimes they're more flat. Um, but they, like you see them in a crowd and like they stand out. <laughs> You're like, oh, are you a wizard? Are you going to have some type of spell? <laughs> but they are the Eastern Orthodox. And you may be going, I thought we were Orthodox. <laughs> we, are, we are, but that is the name that they've chosen for, or they've semi-chosen. Um, that's how they like to be known as, because to them, they are the Orthodox Church. They are the guardians of the tradition, the history, the church started by Jesus. And they're mainly in the 
eastern half, we had, you're going to be going back to, think back to your history, like high school history, when there was a fall of Rome. Rome kind of broke up into a, a bunch of different parts. You had the eastern kingdoms and the western empire. That's kind of where it split. Um, so eastern Europe, uh, the Middle East, Russia, uh, and Africa. Those, that is kind of the, the place where we would know the called the Eastern Orthodox Churches. And the reason they are the Eastern Orthodox Churches is because they are east of the Western Church. <laughs> you know, sometimes we can just make sense. <laughs> that you will hear referred to as the Eastern Church or and the Latin Church. The Latin Church is the Western Church. And they're called the Latin Church because they had their services in Latin. The other churches use kind of the regional, the regional tongues. So whatever you were speaking, that's what they use for their service. And up until 1054, it was all one church. All one church. And sure, there would be some people who would kind of start up and the church would go, that's not actual like church teaching. That's a heresy. You got to stop that or we'll stop it for you. Um, but in 1054, all of these little things, all these little interests, these differences, they finally came to a, kind of a boiling point. And the Eastern churches and the Western churches said, okay, we're done. You're not heretics because, well, we believe mainly the same things. You're still teaching the correct doctrine, but the differences that we found are too much to be one church. So they're not heretics, but we know them as a schism. 1054 was the great schism. You'll hear. And a lot of things led up to this. And when I tell you what it was, you may think, well, that's really dumb. Why would you, why would you have a big fight over this? But they did, because, well, we like the things that we like. The things that are right to us are the things that are right. So, for the Eastern churches, there were a lot of little things. Um, we, in the West, used unleavened bread for the Eucharist. It's a little wafer. Doesn't have any yeast in it, dead worms. The reason why we do that is because, well, at Passover, long ago, God commanded the Israelites, bake your bread, but don't put any yeast in it, because you're not going to have enough time for it to rise. You're going to go. Well, when Jesus is celebrating the Lord, the first Eucharist, 
the Last Supper. <coughs> I mean, we weren't there, but he probably used unleavened bread. Because, well, that's what they did. And so that's what we use. <clears throat> the Eastern Orthodox, they use leavened bread for the Eucharist. Because, well, Jesus rose from the dead, so the bread's going to rise. <laughs> it, it's a little more than that, but... <laughs> just, um, they also had some real concerns with the universal jurisdiction of the papacy. The Bishop of Rome, the Pope, they were saying that, well, the whole church is under the jurisdiction of the Bishop of Rome. Uh, well, the Orthodox churches said, well, we've been churches longer than there was church in Rome, so we have some problems with that. Uh, and some of them were theological, some of them were church problems, some of them were political problems. Um, when Rome split apart, you had Rome, but you also had Constantinople. They're in Turkey, Istanbul. Both were huge seats of political power in the known world at the time. So, both bishops of Rome and Constantinople had a lot of power. So you have those internal struggles for who has control, who has the power. The Eastern Church has said, well, every bishop is responsible for their diocese. Kind of like we said, the Episcopal Church. Every bishop has responsibility for the people in their diocese. And while they can encourage and minister to people outside of the diocese, they have no power over them. That was the thinking of the Eastern Orthodox churches as well. The Bishop of Constantinople was, had a lot of power, <coughs> but had no real authority over other dioceses. They call them the first among equals, meaning they're all equal, but hey, you know what? He gets to, like, he gets to go first at dinner or whatever it was. Um, we have something very similar in the Episcopal Church where we have all the bishops of all the dioceses, but we have a presiding bishop who is not like the Pope or the Bishop of Rome, who is not, can't speak infallibly for the church. It's not the final say on doctrine. Uh, he is the first among equals. The only real thing is he gets called to go all over because, well, that's his job. He has, just kind of checks in and sees how everybody's doing. Manager, without real power. So the Eastern Orthodox churches, that's how they saw the church kind of functioning. The Latin church, the Roman Catholic church, said no. The Bishop of Rome, the Pope, has full power. Over everyone. They couldn't get past that. There were a lot of different little, little things 
But they realized that like Protestants and Roman Catholics today, we have we come up with different answers to most questions. But the Eastern Orthodox, they have different questions. It is not quite the same. It is more and more focused on not just knowing God or knowing about God, but experiencing God. For them, God is experienced through, like we believe, the work of the Holy Spirit. But it's also through the grand tradition of the church. I mean, you think that Episcopalians love tradition? You think Catholics love tradition? Go to an Eastern Orthodox church. It is, you will have no idea what's going on. But they've been doing the same thing for not even centuries, millennia now. They have the faith, for them, the faith is handed down from the apostles. It is the same faith, they say, that when after Jesus rose from the dead and ascended into heaven, the apostles spread out. For them, nothing has changed since then. Um, they have a huge emphasis. Like, we love our theologians and our writers and the people who kind of explain the faith to us. Um, they love them too. Um, but for them, all those people died, in, well, before electricity. Um, they go to like the ancients, the church fathers. So people who just after the time of Jesus' ascension, and as the church was just beginning, the first, second, third-hand accounts of Jesus and the disciples, that's where they go to. Uh, you will be hard-pressed to find. They're out there, but current books on brand-new Eastern Orthodox theology. I'm not saying they're out there. They're out there. But they go back to what they say is the very source. Uh, they are so focused on tradition and the way things were. Uh, they have a different calendar. They have a different church calendar. Um, had a friend who in college, so we all come back from Christmas break. It's very early January, and everybody's going, "Oh, how was your Christmas?" Being Eastern Orthodox, he goes, wait, when was Christmas? <laughs> Christmas is like five days from now. Oh. Christmas for them is January 7th. Because while we use a, the, new cal- the new calendar that's only been around for a thousand years, uh, they go with an old one. Because, well, that was the calendar. Why are we going to change the calendar? But their calendar, because they are more focused on experiencing being with God in His, with, in his presence, uh, they have a calendar that is very similar to ours, but uh, they include a few more really big fasts. So if you think Lent is hard, 
try doing Lent four times a year. Uh, they will have the Great Lent, which they call it, where it is very similar. No meat, no fats, no sugar. I mean, if you're being super traditional about it, and you do that during Lent, so before Easter, you also do it before Christmas. Advent is a season of fasting. They also have the Apostles' Fast. So after Pentecost, right now, check in on your Orthodox friends because they are fasting right now. Um, and then here in a few weeks, they will also start another fast. Because, not because, well, they love fasting, because I don't know anybody who loves fasting, but because they want to experience it is giving something up for God. You'll also notice a few differences in not just kind of the calendar, but of how they worship. It is going to be structured very similarly to their Eucharist service. It's very similar to our Eucharist service. They're going to Lord's Prayer, the creeds, prayers of the people, all of those things. Um, except most places, that is the end of three services. Um, so Sunday, you're going to be in church a long time. <laughs> they will have, they'll have morning prayer. Uh, they'll have another prayer worship, worshipful service, and the Eucharist, which they call the Divine Liturgy. So if you're going, know you're in for the long haul. Um, it's going to be a bit. And um, here in the U.S., they don't do this, but if you are overseas, also be prepared because they don't have pews. No seats. You're standing. We're sitting on the floor. You're standing. Because, well, like how we stand when we're praying, we stand when we're talking to God. They also stand because, well, it would be disrespectful to sit when you're being taught. You don't sit during the sermon. So next Sunday, all of those chairs, they're going to be stacked against the wall. <laughs> I, I couldn't do that. Um, but because there are no pews, no, not all, there are chairs because, well, not everybody can stand the entire time. Um, but you will have people, people moving around. There are, like, in the Episcopal Church, you have like, a priest, acolytes. Sometimes you'll have a deacon serving. So never a whole lot of people. They have so many people moving around because everybody has a job. Everybody has some thing that they do during the service. And so there are constantly people going in and out of doors and moving around and praying and chanting and singing and doing all these things because, well... We are all called to be ministers. We are all called. 
Not everyone is ordained, but we are all called to serve. Why is that with This is the new group? And this is the, the Eastern Orthodox. We're getting there. We're getting there. You're good. You're just ahead of me. Um, so, yes, um, there are multiple Eastern Orthodox churches um, because, well, each bishop has their own diocese, their own kind of place that they're in, in charge of. Um, and so you will have the Greek Orthodox, Russian, um, Syrian, Egyptian, Coptic, all of these different nations have their own Orthodox Church. And they're all under this big umbrella, where, which is wonderful, kind of like the Anglican Communion. You have the Episcopal Church of the United States, Anglican Church of Canada, Anglican Church of Zimbabwe, Uganda, all these places, and they all have their own bishops, and own churches, but we are all united under one umbrella of the Anglican Communion. It's very similar. But that can lead to some problems because, well, you've got churches that are very strictly tied to nationalities, where you're from, um, that can lead to some tensions. Um, you'll see uh, in Russia, the Russian Orthodox Church is under the, they call it the Patriarchy. So that's like the main presiding bishop um, of Russia. They call him presiding bishop, or they call him the Patriarch of Moscow and all of Rus, which is an old term for basically Russia and all of Eastern Europe. I don't know if you've watched the news for the past year or so, there's some stuff going on with Russia in Eastern Europe. And so you will have the patriarch of Russia make some pretty bold political claims that go directly against his very church in Ukraine. It can lead to some problems. It can lead to a lot of problems. Because we are human and we are sinful. We can tend to conflate our church with our nationality. And, well, if you are this type of Orthodox, well, you're going to be proud of that. But that can lead to some problems when not everyone is the same or they do something a little different. Um, it can be kind of hard. It can lead to some prejudices. Because, well, I do it right. And we are the ones that are loved by God. So, well, you must be a little wrong. But, even in that, there is still a huge emphasis on hospitality. Like you're saying, when you left, you got a basket full of food. Lots of times it'll be bread fruit, nuts, good food. 
And that is because, well, if you are not Orthodox, you are not welcome to take communion in an Orthodox church. Because, well, you've been baptized a little differently. And you're still baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But you are not part of the Orthodox Church. So you can't partake of the family meal of the Eucharist. But they don't want you to go home hungry. <laughs> and they are, they are driven by hospitality. So while you cannot eat the body and blood of Christ, they will bless food for you and give it to you. You can eat. Um, not the same. But you're still welcome there. You'll also notice when you go into the church, because there's this emphasis on seeing and experiencing God, there will be icons, paintings, everywhere. All over the walls, in the middle of the walkway, up on the ceiling, everywhere. Because they want you to see what God has done through people, through stories. They want you to not just hear about Jesus, but see what he's done. See who he is. They want you to see the saints that have gone before. There is a huge emphasis on experiencing God, which is a very good thing. A lot of times we can kind of take God or Jesus and we can rationalize. We can become very scholarly, go to our books and say, well, if this says this, and this says this, and that says that, well, then logically, here is God. They don't want you to just know who God is. They want you to be with God. There is one big thing that I have not mentioned yet. And it is the last thing that kind of drove that wedge between the Eastern Church and the Western Church. And that is a little, little phrase that you say every Sunday. You might not even realize it. But the Nicene Creed has been passed down the church throughout the ages. The first church council, they started working on that. But in 1054, probably a year that you've heard about recently, like within the past few minutes, um, the Latin church, the Western church, the Bishop of Rome, got together a whole council and said, well, you know, this Nicene Creed that we've been saying, it is good and it is right, but we need to clarify something. And that is the Holy Spirit. So we say, we believe that the Holy Spirit is the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. Before 1054, that last phrase, and the Son, was not in there. We realize that the Trinity is God, 
three persons, one God. So, well, if it's three persons, then the Holy Spirit must not just come from the Father. Because, well, we now would say that the Father is greater than the Son and greater than the Spirit, which isn't true. But, like I said, they love tradition. And when that, that creed was clarified, that was the final nail in that coffin. I said, well, it was like, we know what you mean, but we just can't get fully on board with changing this. Because, well, it is one God. The Latin church, the Western church, our church, when we think of the Trinity, we like to really put an emphasis on God being three persons in one God. They think differently because, well, different cultures, different lifestyles, different ways of, like, ways of experiencing the world. And they put an emphasis, and it's more important for them, that God is one. That distinction of the Trinity, it is a big deal to them, but it is a bigger deal that God is one. And so that is how, well, they begin to ask different questions than we do. And it can seem like kind of a shame. Because, well, doesn't God want his church to all be united? Yes. There is one church. One holy Catholic and apostolic church. And there are some Eastern Orthodox churches that are in communion with the Roman Catholic Church. There are some that are in full communion with Anglican communion. If you want to go be a priest in India, we can get you ordained here. And it is just as valid because we are in full communion with one of the Orthodox churches in India. There's a whole lot of paperwork involved. But uh, we can make that happen. Because we are in full communion with each other. You can go over there and take communion. You can take it with us. Because each one is different. Each one has their own little quirks. But ultimately, we are united. And there is an, an old saying. Yes, it is kind of a shame that the church has been split like this. But the church needs two lungs to breathe. It needs the right one and the left. And if we didn't have both, or if we didn't have one, we're not going to be as strong as we are with both. And that's, it seems like we're talking about something that is a church that is all the way across the world. But there is a Russian Orthodox convent in Kim. Just down the road. You can go there. Don't just show up because they don't really like that. <laughs> but they are here. It is the second largest denomination in the world. There's whole diocese of Eastern Orthodox churches here in the U.S. Because, well... We are a nation that draws people from all over the world. 
Okay, so you immigrate from Eastern Europe. You're going to want to worship God like he worships over there. Build churches. Um, if you are ever have the option, go to an, a Russian Orthodox church because you will have the best pierogies you will ever have in your life. <laughs> they are cheap and they are delicious. Uh, here in a few, I think it's in a few months, the Greek Orthodox Church will have a big Greek food festival where you get to come and eat and see who they are, how they worship, how they believe in Jesus. It is, a, it is very different from what we believe, but it is just as much the church as we are. And it is just as necessary as we are. It is a great big wide world, a great big wild church. But we are all under the same God, with the same salvation through Jesus. Any thoughts, questions? Do you know how large the Russian Orthodox Church is? It is. Um, I don't know how many people off the top of my head, uh, but it is going to be the Russian Orthodox Church. Uh, so when we say that, we're talking about everybody under the primacy of the patriarch of Moscow and all over us. So you're talking all of Russia, so all of the Russian Orthodox Church, all of Ukraine, all basically everyone in the former Soviet Union is under that umbrella. I'm Kip. Oh, Kip, there are, um, I don't know, honestly there's like maybe 15. That just shocks me a little bit. They're kind of out. You gotta go ways, but it is a Kent mailing address. Uh, they mailed me a package a couple of months ago, and it was only a few dollars to ship, so it wasn't that fun. Uh, but it is, uh, and it's a retreat center for the people who are in the Russian Orthodox Church. They call it the Russian Orthodox Church outside of Russia, uh, and they have several churches here in the Dallas area. And so it kind of serves as a kind of a retreat center. Uh, it says that it's the second largest, the Easter, yeah. that includes all, the second largest Christian church with approximately 220 million baptized members. Russian Orthodox Church has 110 million people. Mm -hmm. 110 million. Lot more than we do. Lot more than we do. The founder, by the way, is Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> in case you wanted to know. <laughs> Just in case you were wondering. Google says. <laughs> it is, uh, yeah, out there in Kim, it is a smaller, it's not one of those like, huge convents or monasteries where you see like hundreds of people praying uh, because well it's just not what they have not what they need but it is a substantial group of I think it's about 15 maybe 20 somewhere in there don't quote me on that because uh, I could be completely wrong don't they have monks there 
I'll get some money there. The reason I'm saying it because I think a doctor, doctor, Father Andy, said he had visited there on more than one occasion, so he was familiar with them. I thought he said they were monks. Yeah, there's some monks. Um, they typically don't live there, um, mainly because it's for women, and they don't want to. But they are. They're, they're there all the time. Okay. Um, they're like they help serve. They um, they'll do services for them um, because well, they don't ordain women um, as priests. So you gotta have somebody come be a priest uh, for the services, uh, for the sacraments. So they're on. They're out there. And uh, if I like, if I said, "Hey, I want to come out there," they will make sure that there is a monk there, so that I'm not just out there. <laughs> I, have been, I have a bunch of letters from relatives that are still in Russia, and I can't read them. <laughs> you know, I can't interpret them or anything. And I tried with the church in Chicago. And the guys were saying, yeah, uh, you know, I can't really make out this, that, and the other. And so I've been trying to find someone who can interpret those old letters that I have from my grandparents. That they kept in touch. You need to go to a university. Because I know I still have relatives over there, and we don't know how to contact them. Yeah, that's a good idea. Um, yeah. And I would love to know how to find somebody. Yeah. Yeah. Universities have, especially that language department, they have students who love doing that kind of stuff. Yeah. They, they like to understand it all. They won't. Hire me to train their dogs. Work with their dogs. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. What kind of dogs? Labrador. Are they guard dogs? No. I don't think they have a I, If they did, I would, you know, I'll be there. It is a fascinating and very deep subject. But that's kind of, this is just a very small taste. That's kind of what we're here for. This whole thing is going to be a buffet where you get to experience a little bit of a lot of things. So, yes, keep, keep your questions coming. I love them. They're awesome. All right. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Thank you.